Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief of priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But it, it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenny. That was wonderful. And thank you, Catherine Watts, for the earlier scripture reading. So I want to ask a question. How can we have joy in adversity? How can we experience a sense of happiness even when we encounter times of trouble? If we look at the very end of our passage today, we actually see that the disciples, 
the apostles, which are the, the 12 followers of Christ, Peter, John, and the others, we actually see them experiencing joy in the midst of pain. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 says this, They called the apostles in, they had them flogged, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they're going through pain, they're going through suffering. Uh, to be flogged was to be whipped with cowhide strips as many as 40 times. I know that I would run away, I, I would be in pain, I would be terrified. But see how they respond, they rejoice. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. For the name of Christ Jesus, they walked away rejoicing and happy because of what they had experienced. That's amazing. That, that challenges us. How can we also walk away with our chin, chins up when we face adversity, when we face hardship? Now, as we uh, read this passage, we realize that this is first about experiencing suffering for the name, for the name of Christ Jesus. When we, uh, when we go through hardship and trial just because we believe in Christ and we're honest about our faith in Him, maybe others look down on us or, or judge us. But I also think that there's an application in us for any one of us as Christian believers as we experience uh, suffering. Uh, so I think, I think it applies to us in persecution, but also in hardship. So hardship is when, uh, you know, our faith in Christ Jesus is tested uh, for any sort of trial, whether that's, uh, you know, coming down with COVID or a friend comes down with COVID or, or cancer or you lose a job or you're, uh, you're just going through a, a mentally challenging time. Uh, there can always be um, an encouragement for us from the scriptures. And I think we find that here that, uh, that, that we find hope when we're at our lowest. Because it's when we're at our lowest that we, we remember that we need Jesus. It's when, here that we, we need him the most. And so we need to be encouraged that we don't walk away from the faith. So that we, we keep going, we keep trusting, we keep hoping. Now our passage today talks about uh, how the disciples do this. Uh, but not directly. It kind of gives us hints and clues for how the disciples, the, the, the apostles, can experience joy in trial. Because, so I, you know, when I experience trial and hardship, I typically complain, right? That's the first thing I do. And maybe, maybe you've been feeling that. Maybe you're complaining a little bit privately, internally. Maybe you're sharing on the social, uh, your frustration. And so this is just a good reminder, right? This is just a good reminder for us. How can we be experiencing joy and peace uh, and, uh, and contentment uh, in this time. And I think we can, but I don't think that you listening to this sermon is going to then create an instantaneous sense of joy in you. I know it hasn't for me. It's been good to reflect on this passage, but I think uh, there's a reminder in us in here as well. Like the, the disciples weren't ready to face persecution and suffering and trial for Jesus on day one. Uh, they became Jesus' disciples, probably for about three years. Jesus died, rose again. He, he appeared to them, completely transformed them. Uh, and then over a period of time, they, they went through suffering. They went through persecution for Jesus. See, it took time. There was a journey. And so I think there is a journey to finding and discovering joy in adversity, joy in suffering, joy in hardship. And so my hope that today's sermon would just help you take one little step in the right direction. I, that's my hope for me, that I would be um, developing just a little bit more of that joy, 
and that you'd be developing a little bit more of that joy in adversity, whether persecution or hardship or any kind of suffering. And so I think in our passage today, we find these hints and we actually find five different things, five different uh, things we need, hopes we need to experience joy in adversity. Now, there are no slides. Uh, you know, it's a little complicated to have slides on this. So this is just have to follow along with me verbally. But the first one, uh, the, the five things we need to experience joy in adversity. The first one is new life in Christ. New life in Christ. We need to experience life with Jesus Christ. See, the disciples have experienced a new way of life, and it has completely transformed them so that they are willing to suffer for Jesus to, fit, to face uh, persecution and hardship. See, they're, they're going through um, uh, hardship, but they go through hardship because of actually success. See, people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus, and it makes the temple authorities scared, those that are in power. And I think uh, if we were to look at their hearts, which we don't get to see, but perhaps there was a sense of jealousy in them. You know, they're the ones in religious power. They don't want to give up uh, what belongs to them, to someone else. But I also want to give them the benefit of the doubt in, in some ways, in that, you know, they had just come out of a time uh, in the Old Testament uh, where... Uh, where God uh, sent people into exile. He sent Israel into exile for abandoning him. So they were probably trying very hard to safeguard uh, the uh, kind of the right way of doing their faith because they didn't want God's judgment to come down upon them. Uh, and so when they encountered this upstart Jewish sect, uh, it probably terrified them. Uh, it probably made them feel jealous as well. And so this is kind of the context that happens. These, these the rulers, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they, they arrest them, they throw them in prison. But this happens. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. I want us to notice that he calls them this new life. He calls like their message and their, their ministry this new life. Now, uh, you guys know that we're expecting a baby uh, uh, coming up here soon, a little girl. And uh, hopefully uh, June 11th is the due date, so only five and a half more weeks here. Uh, but when you get uh, pregnant, right, people want to know three things. They want to know the due date. Uh, they want to know the gender. So we have a little girl, June 11th. Uh, is the due date, uh, and they want to know her name. And her name is, huh, you thought I was going to tell you? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> people want to know what the name is um, uh, because names tell us something. They tell us something about the parents, right? And they tell us something about the children. Uh, uh, so I was reading in a, a book and kind of used this illustration, but uh, N.T. Wright was writing and uh, explaining that he was going to name his daughter Emily, but when she was born, she just didn't look like an Emily. See, something about a name tells us about a person. And so they named her Rosamond. Uh, didn't think she looked like an Emily. I tried to name Elijah Lancelot, but I guess he just didn't look like a Lancelot, whatever a Lancelot looks like. And so we ask, uh, what did they call this early movement? What did they call these first believers? What did they call these first Christians? Well, they don't call them Christians until later in the book of Acts chapter 11. Uh, but here, before that, they actually call them the way. Uh, they're called the way, and they're called the Christians. But even before that, there's this idea of kind of them being this life. Like, that was the, the words that were associated. The angel actually associates this life with them as if it were 
a name or kind of like the core of who they are, this life. Tell the people about this life. See, what they're experiencing is so different, they have to come up with a name for it. It's called this life. And this actually comes from who Jesus is. You might remember in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus answered as he was defining himself. He says, I am the way, right? The early believers are called the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So the angel is saying, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people about the life that Jesus offers. And see, the, the disciples had experienced this life, and that's why they're able to go through the suffering, to go through a flogging and rejoice, because they have experienced Jesus. They have experienced new life in Christ. And they are walking down the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is especially challenging for us, encouraging to say, if we want to experience joy, we need to experience Christ. If we want to experience happiness, there's something in Jesus that we need to experience. We need to experience him. We need to put our hope and trust in Christ. Now, for some of us, it could be discouraging because maybe you are a believer, you are a Christian, and you struggle with melancholy, depression, sadness. You just don't feel like a very joyful person. And so you're like, well, and you kind of like do the backward logic thing. Well, I'm not a happy person, therefore I must not know Christ very well. I think that's Satan's game. I think that's Satan's game for sure. Uh, he wants to condemn us. He wants to accuse us. Christ Jesus wants to liberate us and give us new life. And so uh, we do want to spend time with Christ. We want to get to know him. We want to get to know the joy that he offers just by being in relationship with him. But it's a journey. It takes time. We're going to have some good days. We're going to have some bad days. We're going to have some days where the trials and the hardship probably do feel like they overwhelm us. But there are going to be other days where we're surprised. We're surprised that like, wow, we're walking through this chaos, through these, these stormy waters, and yet we have a sense of peace, peace in Christ Jesus. And so to experience joy and adversity, we need to know Christ. We need to have new life in him. The disciples uh, knew that they were probably going to suffer when they went to the temple, and yet they went anyways because they had a mission from God and they had experienced this life. And it transformed them. Uh, and now the, the Sanhedrin, so if we kind of continue the story in our passage, the Sanhedrin are like, where are these guys? We locked them up in prison. Uh, they don't seem to like question, like, was it a miracle that they got out? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, 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 the ruling religious body sends their guards to go get them. They get them out of the temple. They bring them back before these uh, 70 men, roughly, with a lot of religious and political power. And uh, they say this. They say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name talking about Jesus, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. See, they're, they're blaming the victim, right? They're saying, oh, it's their fault. It's, their, it's your fault that you're in trouble because you're doing all these things. But they're like, you know what? We're, we're, we're sharing new life. We're sharing Christ Jesus. Imagine if you or your company or your friend discovered the, uh, the antidote, the the cure for the coronavirus, for COVID-19. Like, would you want to keep that inside? Wouldn't you want to tell everyone? You would want to like, get it on the news. What if what if you're, if someone told you, no, don't do that. I'll give you a lot of money. Or if you do it, uh, if you tell people, like, I'll, I'll, I'll punish you. Even your government or your, maybe your church. Like, this is kind of what they were feeling like. So they, have, they know not, not the antidote, the immunization to, uh, to COVID-19. They have the, the, the immunization to sin. <laughs> 
the cure, the, the healing power, the blood of Christ Jesus, the, the death and the life of Jesus can, can heal us of our sin and give us new life. And that's why they're, they're willing to face adversity because they've experienced new life in Christ and they want others to experience new life in Christ. To experience joy and adversity, we need number one, new life in Christ. Uh, but the story continues and we see other ways that, that they need to kind of hold fast. And number two comes to allegiance. Kind of who are you loyal to? To experience joy uh, and adversity, we need allegiance to Christ. We need number two, allegiance to God, allegiance to Jesus. We need to be committed and loyal to him above everyone else, above everything else. This is exactly what the disciples are. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. <laughs> They've said something like this already once before. We must obey God rather than human beings. They're like, we threatened you. We told you to stop. Why aren't you stopping? Well, we're obeying God. We are allegiant to him. We are loyal. We are committed to Christ Jesus and him alone. And this is, this is pretty tough because like in their context, they are defying the temple powers. The, the temple is the social, economic, religious, uh, like judicial power in that city. And they're defying that. that. That's like defying your own nation and saying, you know what? I belong to a different nation. I belong to a different kingdom. I belong to a higher kingdom, the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And that is exactly what they are saying. And that's exactly what we need to say. That we belong first to Jesus and his kingdom. He is our king. He is our ruler. Above and beyond all other nations, all other powers, all other loyalties. They are allegiant and loyal to Christ Jesus. And it gives them joy. So then when the people push back against them, they realize they're really pushing back against God. They're not pushing back against them. So they're not going to take it as personally. You're fighting against God. And God is like a, a strong man that cannot be pushed over. You cannot push him over. It's like a little kid trying to push over, you know, like the world's strongest man. It's not going to happen. And as they, they recognize who they, who's really in charge, who's, who's really capable, uh, they find peace. They find joy. They find courage and hope. And they're able to keep going forward. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? When we experience adversity and hardship, when the world pushes back against us or when people push back against us because of Christ or we're just going through suffering and trial, we got to let Jesus bear that weight. Uh, we got to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you bear this weight for me? It's too heavy for me. I need your supernatural strength and your supernatural power. I am allegiant to you. I trust you. and I'm going to leave the results up to you. I am loyal to you. Not to my suffering, not to myself, but to Christ Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves this, because if we're, if our loyalty doesn't lie in Christ, if we're not allegiant to him, if we are allegiant to something else or someone else, a, a nation, a, a power, a person, a family, a cause, uh, uh, a location, if we're loyal to those things, those things are always going to let us down. I'm sure some of you are experiencing disappointment uh, with family or friends or uh, the government, or different institutions and how they're handling things. Maybe your employer, or your boss, or you're, you're experiencing some sort of frustration right now. Can't things be better than this? 
Well, if our loyalty lies to those things, if we're depending on those things, when those things crumble, they're going to they're gonna take our joy. <laughs> they're going to take our happiness. We're going to go crazy on social media being upset at everyone. And yet, it gives us a chance to reprioritize, to focus on Christ Jesus instead and say, you know what? I need to focus on him. I need to focus on Jesus and remember that he's where my loyalty lies. So number two, we need allegiance to God. And number three, we need belief in the gospel to experience joy and adversity. Verses uh, 30 through 31, they begin to explain uh, what their mission is, what their message is. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So the word gospel means good news. And it's like this joyful news. And the joyful news is ironically born out of suffering, right? Joy is born out of hardship and suffering. And we know that because we look at Christ Jesus, right? Jesus is the son of God who suffered. He, he uh, in order to rescue us, we denied him and he was nailed to a tree where he suffered and died. So the son of God experienced pain, suffering and hurt and adversity so that we could experience this life. So we experience new life so that we could uh, be forgiven. He, you killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. See, three days later, Jesus rose again from the grave in victory over sin and death. And now he's ascended, he's seated on the throne in heaven. He's ruling, he's reigning, he is in charge. So if he's in charge, I'm going to be allegiant to him. I'm going to be loyal to him. And that'll actually give me joy and peace as I look at what is going on around me because it's frustrating. And how do we become allegiant to Christ Jesus? How do we become loyal and committed to him? By repenting of our sins and placing our faith in him. And this isn't just a one-time act. This is a life. This is the lifestyle, continuing to repent of our sins and draw closer to Christ Jesus and getting to know him and love him. The gospel gives us hope. It tells us God hurts about our hurts and pains and that God has a greater purpose in them, that he can bring about his good through it. And so to experience joy and adversity, we need one, new life in Christ, two, allegiance to God, and three, belief in the gospel, and four, the Holy Spirit's power. See, the apostles do not claim that they know what it takes. Uh, instead, they attribute their strength to God himself, to the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 says this, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So is the Holy Spirit as a witness. God has given the Holy Spirit to us who obey him, who follow Christ Jesus. See, the greater power is God himself, is the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is out there being a witness, is affirming uh, the truth of the resurrection in our hearts, the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the hearts of these people in this early uh, passage, those that are, are hearing the gospel. And so this is a good reminder. If you ever struggle with knowing, like, am I saved? Am I saved by God's grace? Or is there something I have to do to, to be a good Christian in order to earn God's love? Well, uh, look for the witness of the Holy Spirit confirming and affirming in our hearts that we know Christ Jesus. He's not going to affirm that you're a good person, therefore you're saved. 
is going to affirm, oh, I know Christ. I know my Savior. I know my Prince. Therefore, I'm saved. Now, when Peter shares the gospel to this religious assembly, they want to tear him apart. They want to kill him right there. But then one of their leaders gets up and says, don't do that. <laughs> See, revolutions have, born, have been born and died. Uh, and the reason they die is because they're not of God. If the revolution here dies, that means it's not of God. But if it is of God, then you're just wasting your time. Verses 38 through 39. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you. So this is Gamaliel speaking to uh, the Sanhedrin. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For it is their purpose or activity. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. See, if they have the Holy Spirit's power, and if we have the Holy Spirit's power, we will be unstoppable. Not just like in the things we want to do and accomplish in, the life, in this life, but the things God has planned for us, the things God has in store for us to do. I, uh, Elijah's like really into trains right now. He loves trains. He's all about Thomas, uh, the, the, the tank engine. Uh, and I looked up uh, this week how long it takes a train to stop. Right? So with the emergency brake fully applied uh, uh, for the average freight train, so those, those trains with all the, the kind of the big uh, carrying containers, it takes about an, a mile to a mile and a quarter in length to stop. There's so much power that these 90 to 120 rail cars cannot stop in over a mile, even with the emergency brake fully applied. That's amazing. Or an eight passenger train, so this is probably more like the trains we have leading down into Boston. If it's going 80 miles an hour, it also needs about a mile to stop. Now, if you're on that train and that train applies the emergency brake, it takes you about a mile to stop. Or if you're on a freight train, it takes you about a mile to stop. But it's not because you are powerful. You're not like, yeah, I, I had so much momentum going down into Boston. I was so eager to get to work that it just it took a mile for me to slow down. No, it's because it took the freight train a mile to slow down. It took that train engine that much time because it was so powerful. It was so driven. It's not because you are powerful, but the train is powerful. Now, when you are with Christ through the Holy Spirit, when you are with Christ through the Holy Spirit, it is not because you are powerful that nothing can stop you, but because God is so powerful, nothing can stop him. It's not because you're so powerful. It's because God is so powerful, nothing can stop him. And so get on the train. Get on the train with Christ Jesus. Get on the train through the power of the Holy Spirit. Get, get linked up. Get on board with what God is doing. Man, that will give you joy when you know, I'm with God. I'm with the Holy Spirit. God is leading me. God is doing something. This is so exciting. And that will give you joy. That will give you life. That will get you places. That'll get us places as a church body when we link up with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. You know, and I throw out these ideas at the beginning of the service, ways that you uh, can get involved if you want, making masks or, or, um, or surgical hoods or, uh, or um, delivering groceries. These are all great opportunities, and I'm excited about the potential of people getting on board with those things and helping out. But ultimately... We don't want to just do things to look good 
on social media or to um, to be good people, right? We want to do good things because that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Because there are so many different things we could do, and maybe the good thing God is calling you to do is to you know, take care of your family and pray for others and help out your direct neighbors and friends. I don't know. But I want us as a church body, I want us individually to get on board with whatever the Holy Spirit wants us to do. I want us all to get on the same train, <laughs> empowered by the Holy Spirit, for him to take us someplace. And so what we need to do is just ask, Lord, would you show us where you want to take us? And maybe that's already what we're doing. Maybe that's something new. I don't know. The Holy Spirit knows because we're getting on his train, not the Jonathan train, not anyone else's train. We're trying to follow the Holy Spirit and ask him. And so let's do that. I'm just going to stop and pray right now. And then we're going to continue in the sermon. Heavenly Father, would you lead us as a church family by your Holy Spirit? Would you lead us where you want us to go? Would you empower us? Would you be the witness in, in this time right now, in Westward, in our families, in our front lines, in our communities? Would you be leading us where you want us to go? Amen. So the, the four things we need for joy so far are uh, new life in Christ, allegiance to God, belief in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit's power. And the fifth is shared suffering. Verse 41, shared suffering. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. This is the verse we already read, but it's so beautiful. They're, they're, they've just been flogged and they're rejoicing and they're happy. And I think there's this principle here, like, look, they're not alone in this. They're together, the apostles, the 12 of them. This is the first time this band of brothers, they were persecuted as one for the gospel of Christ Jesus. And this tells us something about suffering together, that we, it's best not to suffer alone. <laughs> it's best to go through adversity and persecution and hardship with brothers and sisters in Christ, with a church family that can love you and lift you up. My friend Joe preached a couple weeks ago, a wonderful, inspiring message. Uh, and you can listen to that on our website. Uh, but he served in the Marine Corps, and he uh, told me that there is something about the battlefield that just binds uh, men and brothers together. That when you're under fire, it just does something to your relationship. Now, I have never experienced that personally. Maybe there are some of you in our congregation who have experienced that and know what I'm talking about. But I have experienced at a lower level when like doing something hard with friends, like going on a hike or an overnight camping trip. There's just something about getting out there and being together and being a little challenging that just builds your relationships. There's nothing like suffering and hardship to bring people together. And so we need someone together. So if you don't have someone in your life and you're going through this time of suffering of hardship, man, reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to anyone in our church. Jonathan at CornerstoneWestford.com. I'd love to connect you with someone in our church body who can encourage you. We need, uh, in, in a weird way, we need suffering and to experience joy. Uh, but we can't do it alone. We need a shared experience. And uh, in my doctorate of ministry program, we read this book called Generations to Generations by Edwin Friedman. I just want to summarize a point that he made that just has really stuck with me. It's this idea of pain tolerance, uh, that we build pain tolerance by experiencing pain. 
We build pain tolerance by experiencing pain. So if you want to experience joy, you have to experience suffering. If you want to experience true and meaningful and lasting happiness, you have to go through hardship. And this, this book is all about like family relationships or, you know, like system relationships. It makes a point that sometimes we intervene in another suffering, right? The suffering of a family member, a friend, a coworker, and we do something so that they don't have to experience their suffering, so that they don't have to experience their pain. It makes them feel better and it makes us feel good. But at the end of the day, it actually reduces their growth as a person and it reduces their ability to build pain tolerance and then to experience joy. And so we need, uh, we don't need someone to come and to take our suffering for us. We need someone to come and walk through our suffering with us. So as brothers and sisters in Christ and as your pastor, like we don't need to have the answers why you're going through suffering. In fact, it's it's pretty unhelpful when people come and say like, here's, you know, here's what you should be doing. <laughs> here's the answer to make everything right. It's much better to just simply be there. The book of Job, to just go and be with the one who is hurting, be with the one who is suffering, because we don't have the answers. But we can have presence. We can be with one another. And that's tough in this time of social distancing, right? where we're supposed to be socially apart. But Chris Lake uh, said it really well in his uh, Zoom interview a couple weeks ago. He said, we're not really supposed to social distance, we're supposed to physically distance. It's like we can still be together socially, therefore each other through Zoom or phone, or if you need to like go, go stand in a parking lot and you know stand 10 feet, up, feet apart, 30 feet apart, just for good measure, like shout at each other how much you love each other. There are things that we can do to encourage one another. And if I'm giving any sort of advice that's like against medical advice, I kind of hear like imagine Diana saying, don't do that. Uh, maybe you should call Diana first and get her approval. Uh, I'm just kidding, but just be wise, right? Be wise. Um, we want to go through this time of suffering together. To experience joy and adversity, we need one new life in Christ. Two, allegiance to God, allegiance to Christ. Three, belief in the gospel. Four, the Holy Spirit's power. And five, shared suffering. So God has given us an opportunity to experience some hardship as a nation, as a country. That's why we're going to pray on Thursday evening. Uh, we're going to pray for our people uh, and pray for each other. But this is also an opportunity to, to experience suffering so that we can then build uh, capacity for joy. Uh, so let's... Let's approach this time with a different mindset. Maybe God has something for me in this time. But I don't want to miss it. <laughs> You're like, I'm not missing the pandemic. The pandemic is here. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah, but what if we're missing what God has for us in the pandemic? I don't want to miss that. And I hope you don't want to miss that either. I'll be honest, guys. I struggle with melancholy. I do. Maybe you are like, what? You seem like a pretty happy person. Well, even happy people have down days, right? And I have, I have many of them. And I know that for many of you, you're also experiencing melancholy or sadness or, or depression or just anxiety because of everything going on or just frustration because you want it to be over. And so I think God is just telling us this morning, I want you to experience joy. <laughs> I want you to experience happiness that is not dependent on your circumstances, but is dependent on me. 
And so if we can even begin to learn how to experience joy and adversity, joy and hardship during this time, won't it have been worth it? Like, won't it have been worth it just to completely change our mindsets about how we think about these kind of things? I think it will have been worth it. And so to experience joy and adversity, what do we need? We need new life in Christ. We need to experience Jesus. We need number two, allegiance to God, loyalty to him. We need three, belief in the gospel. Number four, the Holy Spirit's power. Number five, shared suffering. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message and for the ways that kind of surprised me at some of these things. I said, <laughs> you are good, Lord. We're just going to trust that that um, you have been speaking uh, uh, to the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray uh, if there's anything that you didn't want them to hear, just wipe those things from their memories. And Lord, if there's anything that your people really did need to hear through my words today, um, will they just echo in their minds? And would it not draw them to me, but to you, Father? Would we all be drawn to Christ Jesus? Would we all be drawn to our Heavenly Father? Help us to remember that he shares our suffering, that Jesus shares our suffering. Help us to trust in him, Father. We love your Son so much. We love each other, Lord. Uh, give us a greater love for you, for each other, and for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.